Witnessing a mass shooting is an experience no one should have. But fate transformed this senior citizen and true badass from a bystander and possible victim into a hero who helped prevent a horrific tragedy from becoming worse. Pat Mesh, welcome to the Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for joining me today. How did you end up in Tucson? Well, first, thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. Um, Thank you. So I ended up in Tucson because my husband and I, my husband mostly was looking for a place in the sun from Kansas City. We spent one year down at South Padre Island and didn't find that to be what we needed. And my sister had just moved from Tucson. She'd been transferred to Chicago or Denver. I can't remember which, but her house was sitting vacant. So um, I said, let's go over to Tucson for a year. We'll rent my sister's house and see what we do there. And that was in 1983. And here we are. Wow. On January 8th, 2011, then Representative Gabby Giffords was holding a constituent meet and greet at a Safeway in the suburb of Tucson when a man ran up to the to the crowd and began firing a nine millimeter pistol with a thirty three round magazine, and he hit ni- hit nineteen people, killing six, uh, among them a federal judge and a nine year old child, and of course gravely wounding Gabby Giffords. This is Christina Taylor's greens. Um, last piece of artwork, a representation. And so is the necklace. Her mom had it made. So um, got a heart behind it. It's a little butterfly. Roxana and John hadn't even seen it. It was still at school. So wow. it's kind of our symbol of uh, the little nine-year-old girl who would be 21 today. Yeah, I mean, 21 years old as of last September 11th. Yeah. She was born on a day of violence and left in a violent way. Man, how uh, terribly ironic, as it were. It is. Uh, You were there that day at the Safeway. Why were you, what was the occasion? Why were you there? I had gotten a robocall from Gabby on Friday, and it was a very contentious election. This was going to be her first Congress on your corner after she was re- uh, uh, signed into uh, into the house and she called her staff on on Wednesday and said I want to do a congress on your corner on Saturday and they said this is Wednesday she said I want to do a congress on your corner on Saturday so since it was such a contentious election I knew she would have some people there that were unhappy with her so I decided I needed to go and tell her how happy I was with her that she had um, helped pass the Obamacare. She had uh, done a number of things that helped my business, a small business. Mm-hmm. Don't normally find help for really small businesses in our legislators. But she did. And so you really didn't have any connection with her campaign, with her, other than you just wanted to be there that day. I just wanted to be there. My husband had done some work for her at her little house down in the barrio. And so he had a connection, but I didn't. And, you know, we work together. And on Saturday and Sunday, especially in the winter, we don't tell each other what we're doing on our weekends. And so I knew where he was, but he did not know where I was. Wow. You were 
one of the heroes of the day. You may not consider that yourself a hero, but those that know the story, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to tell it, uh, you know, you were, you know, somewhat unlikely to, to be that person to do what you did. I mean, you're, you're a badass senior citizen. <laughs> so, well, so I agree. With, I don't agree with you on the hero. The two heroes for me that day were the guys who saved my life, but I'll tell you about them in the story instead of right now. Tell me what happened. Well, I got there early, which is not my usual MO. And I signed in with Gabe Zimmerman Gabby's staffer, her, his constituent outreach staffer, I think was his title. Uh, and I signed in and said, um, are you going to take people in order? Because I was like the third person there. And he said, yes. And I consider myself thrifty. My husband says I'm cheap. So <laughs> since I had 15 minutes, I went in the grocery store to see what kind of holiday savings I could take advantage of after I had a chance to talk to Gabby. So I bought a bottle of water and went back out. And now there's 25 people there or or more. And I asked Gabe again, are you going to take people in order? And he said, hesitatingly, I'll try. And I said, it's okay. I had a lot of things to do, but I thought, don't be rude. Just go to the back of the line. And I believe that saved my life. I was the last person in line. I was eavesdropping on all the conversations. None of us knew each other. Uh, Now I know Mary Reed. She was there with her daughter and her husband and her son. Her daughter, Emma, had been a page for Gabby. But just because you're a page doesn't mean you get to meet the congresswoman. You're the grunt worker. You're doing Mm -hmm. all the running around. So she wanted to meet Gabby. Her dad had his fancy camera. They're going to take some pictures. And um, luckily, you know how how fate steps in sometimes. Owen, Emma's younger brother, was throwing little pieces of gravel at Emma. And Mary screamed at Tom, her husband, get that kid out of here. So Tom takes Owen away. And that's when the firing started. So how fortunate that Owen was throwing rocks. And so um, I heard a pop. I've never held a gun. I've never fired a gun. Some people thought that first pop was fireworks or or a balloon coming out of the Safeway and popping. But somehow I knew it was neither of those, that it was a gun. And so there was one pop and then a series of 32 more pops. It took that young man less than 19 seconds to fire 33 rounds. So that Safeway store faces to the west and it has an overhang. And so I could see this dark figure coming down the sidewalk and just shooting. And I didn't feel like I had an opportunity to run. If I had run in either direction other than towards the shooter, I thought I would make myself a target. So I laid down on the sidewalk as close to the building as I could, hoping that he wouldn't notice me. And even in that 
19 seconds, there's a number of things go through your mind. And mine was, how bad is it going to hurt? And am I going to survive a gunshot? So as I'm wondering that, there's a big scuffle. These two good guys without guns. So the NRA is freaking wrong. Yep. It's not the good guys with the guns. It's the good guys without guns that saved my life that day. Roger Salscaper and Colonel Bill Badger jumped him when he started to reload. So to step back a minute, Mary Reed standing right next to me. She has taken Emma and pushed Emma up against the wall uh, to protect Emma. That young man with easy access to a gun shot her in both arms, in the upper arms. Mary's convinced trying to shoot Emma in the head. Oh, jeez. Mary turned around and looked at him, and he shot her in the back. She survived those wounds, but that's when he ran out of bullets in that first magazine. So that's when Roger and Bill tackled him. And they tackled him right nearly on top of me. And they had him pinned on his right side. And I, when I knelt up at the small of his back, I couldn't reach the gun because it was in his hand and he was a six foot tall guy. And, but I could see him taking another magazine out of his pocket with his left hand. And I was able to take that. away. There was a, another man that came around and said, give me that magazine. I'm going to shoot this son of a bitch. And while he's telling me that, Bill Badger, who's military, is yelling at him, put the gun down, put the gun down and step on it. Because he knew that when the law enforcement arrived or anybody else saw him, they might mistake him for the killer. Sure. So he put the gun down and stepped on it, stepped away with the gun. And I noticed these two old guys are holding this man down. One of them was my age, but Surely he was older than me, right? <laughs> of course. And, and this young man was now flailing his legs in an attempt to get up. And I thought, if those two old guys fail to keep him contained, what's next? So I put one knee on each of his ankles. At that point, he started shouting, Ow, ow, stop, stop, you're hurting me. So oh. Bill Baxter has it's died. Bill was had a graze wound across his head and still managed to get up and tackle that young man with Roger. So um, I would never argue with Bill when he is alive. He's he has since passed. I think his death hastened by his wounds. But when I showed my husband John what I had did later, he said he wasn't talking about Bill holding him by the neck. He was talking about your bony knees on his ankles <laughs> on the concrete. Yeah. So so we sat that way for, gosh, a couple of seconds. And that's when I noticed Bill was bleeding. And I asked a young man that was standing there to secure the shooter's legs. And I was going to run in and get paper towels or something to, to stop the bleeding on Bill's head. And I had no idea how bad that wound was. 
it ended up being just a graze. But so I run in the store. They're all like deer in the headlights. You know, I said, I need some towels. And so they gave me a roll of paper towels. I ran back out. And on my way back out, I'm thinking, what have I done? What am I going to find? Because the young man that I had asked to secure the perpetrator's legs was dressed exactly like the perpetrator. And I thought, have I turned over the wrong guy? The wrong guy. Or were they accomplices? But as it turned out, he was a young man that was carrying, he was in say he was in the Walgreens, which is right next to the Safeway. And when he heard the shooting, he came out after it was all done. But he couldn't decide who to shoot, thank goodness. Yeah. You know, what would have happened if he decided, I'm going to be the big shot with the gun? But thank goodness he was a sensible young man, and he didn't take any action except the one I asked him to. So um, we all kind of stood there. I was holding a, uh, a compress on Bill's head, and we all stood there waiting for law enforcement to arrive. Now, while we were waiting, and another fortunate thing, there was three doctors and a nurse in the grocery store on a beautiful Saturday. And you've met David Bowman. Sure. David said it was a miracle. One of the miracles that day was that there were three doctors and a nurse there yeah. instead of on out on the golf course. Yeah. Because where they likely would have been. They did all the triage by the time the ambulances got there all the triage was done everybody that was murdered had a butcher's cloth on top of them gabby was daniel hernandez was trying to help her david bowman or one of the doctors i'm not sure which told him to sit up and to hold Gabby up so that she wouldn't drown in her own blood. So that's how we all sat. Ron Barber was Gabby's chief of staff. He tells me that he knew if he could stay awake, they keep his eyes open, they would know he was alive. He was shot in the femoral artery. One of the doctors said, he's, he's gone. Oh, so Ron closed his eyes for a second. One of the doctors said, he's gone, he's bled out. And Ron heard him and reached up and grabbed him by the arm. And so then they took action with Ron. Ron would wow. have fled the sidewalk if he hadn't opened his eyes. Um, they went to all of the people that were wounded, evaluated their wounds, got somebody to sit with them, especially the ones with the chest wounds, so that they wouldn't move because they didn't know. Right moved even a fraction of the inch what a bullet would do to any internal organs. So that's how we all sat until the law enforcement got there. Did it seem like an eternity until the law, enforce, law enforcement and uh, and ambulances got there? I'm, I'm sure it was. Well, law enforcement got there first. And the woman, the female deputy said to me as she took the magazine. Right. I'm sorry I couldn't get here any sooner. People would not get out of my way with my siren. And so one of the morals of the story is get the fuck out of the way if there's an emergency vehicle 
you have no idea where they're going or what is at stake. Yeah. So get out of the way and let them do their job. So uh, David Bowman had told law enforcement, we are not waiting for helicopters. Gabby, we didn't know who, I mean, he didn't know who it was at the time. This woman and the little girl need to be in ambulances right now. They need to go to the university hospital where the trauma center is, the only level one trauma center in Tucson. And so they were on their way. And then they dealt with all of the other ones because the other ones, as it turned out, did not have life-threatening injuries. Mm -hmm. They were all very serious, of course, but they were all taken to to the university. So that was how the incident ended, except that I was there. I got there at quarter to 10. I was finally allowed to leave at three after I talked to FBI, after I talked to uh, the local deputies, after I talked to somebody from FEMA. Um, and it was very strange. I think you've been through that intersection when you visited Tucson. It's a major intersection, mm-hmm. lanes each direction, a big crossroad. They had shut down the traffic a mile in each direction. Wow. And when I left there at three o'clock, it was so eerie. It was like the day the earth stood still. What prompted you? Because, you know, we've all, we've talked about how different people react differently to, to tragedy like this. I mean, there are people that just want to like, nope, I just want this to go away. And then there are others like you and me and Fred Gutenberg. And I mean, I could go on that feel like that it's our mission and our duty to, to address it and to try and fight to stop it. So obviously you fell into that latter category too. Well, I have some shame in my advocacy of my activism. When Columbine happened, I said, Oh, that's awful. Somebody should do something. Yeah. Virginia well, we all did. I mean, it was like, this is terrible. And unfortunately, I think human nature, this sucks. This is terrible. And there are only a handful of people that are called to go, we need to get involved and we need to do something about this. Well, and those people are my heroes. Yeah. You know, those people who haven't had to witness what you and I experienced or witnessed and they have come and stood up beside us and behind us Mm -hmm. and have magnified our voices carried our messages of trauma and atrocity i heard the other day can't remember where you might have heard it too these are atrocities these are not incidents of gun violence they're right gun yeah and domestic terror. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten beyond the point of saying, oh, gee, this was an incident. They are atrocities. But one of the things that you and I have both experienced is that you, you meet a lot of people who I've called members of the club that no one wants to join. You make friends with people that you wish you had met under completely different circumstances. But it's been very therapeutic 
for for me and for Barbara. And I I think, you know, what about you? I, I assume it's been the same for you. Absolutely. Uh, the survivors in Tucson, for the most part, there's a couple people who choose not to be part of the survivors group, but we have a lot of comfort. We gain a lot of comfort from mm-hmm. each other. You know, we, we are a comfort to each other. We are not judged by each other. You know, I try not to judge what one survivor can do from one moment to the next. You know, if somebody says, oh yeah, I can, I can talk to the press. And then they say, I can't do it. Yeah. That, that is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody that's gone through what we've gone through, you get a pass. You've worked with various gun violence prevention organizations like Brady and, you know, now Giffords. What do you see with the various groups that are out there? Well, some are more political than others. Some try to be somebody for everybody. And I'm not sure we can do that and make very good progress. And as you know, some of them don't want you to be as outspoken. But we're we're not nice ladies with white gloves on. Those people didn't get much done very fast. So we've taken off the gloves and we're ready for the fight. And we're in a fight for our lives, for, for our lives and for other people's lives. As you know, it can be so random. Some of it is targeted. I hate that word, but I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Like Allison's case. Um, and and why the young men who feel like they have to make a statement, like the young man that we had, just go kill yourself. Leave the yeah. rest of us alone. I remember Tim Kane, uh, Senator Tim Kane, good guy. And I remember him telling me that after Gabby was shot, uh, he said, you know, had there been a secret vote in Congress, we would have passed some bills. I mean, but because it wasn't secret, they were, you know, it's like Congress being Congress, you know, they didn't want to, everybody, you know, privately was, was in horror and wanted to do something, but publicly they wouldn't do it. Absolutely. So no, no secret vote. So, you no, know what we say about, um, Jeff Flake? Because Jeff was a friend of Gabby's and he voted against Manchin Toomey. And so we said he's like a Ken doll. Nice hair, good face, no balls. (laughs) Anatomically a Ken doll. Yeah. That's, you know, you could say that for a lot of them, I'm afraid. Uh, Uh, But there was no secret vote and no progress until, you know, the, the gun bill that was passed this summer that doesn't address everything, but at least it's a start. So given that, do you think we're ever going to see an end to gun violence, the, the, this pandemic? I mean, what, what's your, what's the Pat Mache magic solution? Unfortunately, I don't have one just like you don't have one, but the solution is to join, to vote out the Ken dolls. Yeah. You know, all those, um, people who care more about power and greed, pleasing the NRA, pleasing the National Firearms Shooters or whatever all those are called. And so that's one of the things that, if you think about it, the NRA and all of those guys stand together. The NRAs, they're not 
gutted. They're not, we still, they're still a formidable force. Yeah. We have yeah, to be. They, they have been, they have suffered set, a setback. I think they are not as potent as they were, but they're still, you know, they're still out there and they still are getting support from, you know, I'm afraid it's, you know, my solution is, you know, eventually something will change just like, you know, we put seatbelts in cars, we driver's licenses, driver's licenses, smoke, you know, tobacco use. I mean, it, it, it's but it's taken forever. And that was what, you know, one of the things I learned, you know, early on was, as somebody said, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Well, you know, I didn't want it to be a marathon. I wanted to be a wanted it to be a sprint. The people that are standing in the way are, I'm afraid, they're our generation. You know, they're all old farts, not us, <laughs> but, right, <of> but, <laughs> but it's going to have to be a generational change. And the people, you know, like the March for Our Lives kids and the Parkland kids, I mean, they're the they're going to be the ones, they're going to have to be the ones that solve it. They're going to have well, to be the ones that solve it. Well, you know, somebody, a young woman that was not injured physically because emotional wounds are real wounds, in my sure. opinion. Um that was at Columbine. One of the first things she says when she makes remarks is, I want to apologize. We should have taken care of this. Our adults told us it was an anomaly, that this wasn't going to happen again. And look where the fuck we are. Yeah. Yep. On the sprint versus the marathon, one of my close friends said that to me. I'm a, I'm a results person. I thought we would go and tell our story and things would change. She said, I, I'm, I can't do this anymore, but I'm going to support you. And I said, Oh, thank you. I really appreciate your support, but you know how you can support me. Keep your ass in the game. And every time you think it isn't worth it, you think of Roxana and John green and how that little nine-year-old girl is gone dead. She's been a dead longer. She's been dead longer than she's been alive. Just like those kids at Sandy Hook. And when you talk yeah. about Sandy Hook, oh, you know, we all thought that could change. But those children that witnessed that did not have a voice. They were too young. It took the Parkland kids yeah. to call BS. I yeah. think right, that it's going to be their generation that says this is not right. Yeah. This has to stop. And, yeah. and they made a big difference already. Yeah, I think like so. Maxwell Frost. That's the perfect yeah. thing. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It it is. And and he's gonna be the guy, you know, he and his generation are gonna be the ones that are ultimately gonna be able to fix it. We'll pay for the gas. You keep your foot on the gas. Good way to end it. That's a good that's a good way to end it, Pat. Thanks so much for joining me. I I so appreciate it. Appreciate your friendship and uh, your advocacy and and your devotion to this. I'm and, honored, Andy, that to take the time to do this with you. You know, you're so dear to my heart, as is Barbara, and I wear Allison's bracelet. I wear, I wear every yes. day. I wear my 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 four that are connected with Tucson. But on other days, I wear everybody's. And Allison's was with me 
on Sunday when we did our little commemoration. Oh, that's great. I, I know she'd be smiling and and be thanking you. And I, and I thank you for, for her. Give Barbara a hug for me. I'll do it. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Mary Ann Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening. 